This episode is sponsored by the product cards. As product managers, one of the key parts of the job is to always continue learning. So we try to read books, articles, and of course, listen to podcasts like the Product League podcast. But then we get busy with our work. We jump from one thing to the next, and it's hard to remember the things that we have read. The product cards are a great solution to this. With a collection of 50 cards that you can easily bring anywhere, each card carries a product management concept or strategy. You can reference these cards at any point, applying the knowledge you've gained right away. Here is how it works. Each card has a brief description of a product management strategy on the front, and on the back, it has a long-form description on how to apply the strategy and the QR code if you want to learn more. Whatever you're working on, these cards will be by your side, ready to help you in your work and in your studies. Reserve your deck today at theproductleague.com slash productcards. I'm walking all alone here at the very empty campus of University of Texas at Dallas. It is winter break and everybody's home right now, but in about two weeks, this very spot that I'm walking will be filled with thousands of students. Students from all degrees, from all levels, from all semesters, all sharing one thing in common, and that is the struggle of finding an internship. Why is it so hard to find internships? In this episode, I will talk with two recruiters as well as two students who are struggling and one of them who also succeeded. In the meantime, I'm gonna drive myself back home because one, it's very cold here in Dallas and two, this empty campus, it's kind of scaring me. Don't worry, it's gonna be chill because I'm also gonna edit. So just be chill, okay? I think this is a mic, so I'm just gonna do it. Yeah. So how many how many internships have you applied so far? I counted it about like 500. After that, I lost the count. Um, but I could easily say around 700, 800 internships. Uh, I applied to more than 600 inter- uh, internships. Did you get any response in any interview? Uh, yeah, I did get for few. But let's say if I applied 500, I would get call back for 10 of them. And only five of them would go forward for a for a formal meeting uh, or an interview round. Yes, I was getting a decent response. So out of the 600 applications I did, I gave about eight to nine interviews. So is it discouraging for you to apply to a lot of uh, companies and get rejected? Of course, of course, like uh, you put in tons of hours applying those applications, tailoring them exactly for what they're looking and then you spend like, let's say, five to six hours a day, tie yourself out for a week and then uh, the next Monday you start receiving the rejection letter again all at once in the same place that you applied to. Mm. So it it makes it, uh, it discourages you it's counterproductive, so uh, it's tough again to you know lift yourself up and go ahead and do the same process only to get rejected again. So how important is is it for you as a grad student to find an internship and why? So, I think it's the most important part any graduate student look looks forward for uh, primarily because of the monetary issues. So um, I am an international student uh, with a heavy amount of student loan on me. Uh, getting an internship is not just the financial relief that I get, uh, but it also helps me uh, confirm that I'm going on a correct track. Uh, I'm doing things correctly. 
and also gives me more confidence that I can convert this internship to a full-time role. What made you, so what made you motivated? 500, 600, you said, right? So what kept you going uh, even though you were getting rejected? Do you recall something that maybe we can learn from? The motivation was I had no other choice. I had to get an internship. I didn't see any other way. But uh, once the summer break started and I still didn't have a final offer, there were two that were about to close. I was about to get the offer, but there was no confirmation even when the summer break started. And by then I was really demotivated. I even went back to India and then I continued applying from there. And then while I went back home, uh, within the first five days, I got this offer. So I had to come back. So uh, if you are to give any tips to people who are searching for interview, uh, for internships, just like you, what would you say to them since you already got an offer? I would say don't give up and then have multiple versions of your CV. So don't just apply to one role, apply to maybe three to four similar roles and apply with different versions of your CV and keep updating your CV, keep iterating and uh, yeah. And don't give up. It is demotivating. It, I think it's a lot of luck. Right place, right time. So apply, use all approaches. Don't just apply on LinkedIn. Apply on other platforms like Indeed, Handshake. Reach out to people. Reach out to your friends. Talk to them about um, if there are any vacancies in their companies. And then once you have a lead, that's when you should really put in your best and follow up and send maybe emails to the people you interviewed with or the team members. And if you know anybody in that company, definitely reach out to them if you get a chance to interview because that does increase your chance of converting the offer if they put in a good word for you. Well, if you're a student, we can all relate to both the stories that we've heard. This internship struggle is real and we're all on the same boat. I myself have applied to nearly 100 internships and I got rejected to all of them besides one. One that gave me the chance to at least interview to later give me an offer. I've been working with CBRE as a product management intern since June now and I get approached by a lot of students asking to meet with me and asking for tips on how to get one. This question puts me in a difficult position because for one, there is no secret formula that gets you a placement. Getting one is a result of your background, personality, communication skills, and so on. But most importantly, getting an internship, in my opinion, is also a numbers game. As Saiba mentioned, sometimes you just hit the right time at the right moment. Although there's no secret formula to getting an internship, in this episode, I've invited two recruiters from two global companies. CBRE, the largest commercial real estate company in the world, and a CDK Global Recruiter, a multinational corporation providing services to the automotive industry. Both accept tens of interns every year, so if you're looking for an internship, you should definitely have these two companies in mind. Hi, Kat, can you hear me? Hi, yeah, how are you? I'm good, how about you? I'm doing well, thanks. So that was Kat, the recruiter from CDK Global. Hello, my name is Kayleen Murphy. I am a campus recruiter at CBRE, um, which is the number one commercial real estate company in the world. And that was Haley from CBRE. So the very first question that I asked Kat and I was very curious about is, has it always been this hard to get an internship? You know, that's a really good question. And it's so interesting. So my background actually in higher education, and I spent most of my time working with students from from a college perspective. And when I was working in higher ed and when I was a student myself, internships, I don't feel like were as big of a focus 
Um, I don't know what it is over the last, you know, five or six years. Um, but something about the that hands-on experience has has really boosted the college experience. I think it's because so many students are now competing for less and less positions and they really want to do whatever they can to gain as much experience and make themselves really marketable and really get themselves into the industry. So I think that that's probably why, but it's so interesting because, you know, a decade ago when I was in college, it really wasn't a thing. I just kind of did an internship for fun. And now it's like I'm talking to freshmen who are looking for internships. It's crazy. It is crazy. So the moment I stepped foot into the university in America last year, because I'm from Europe, uh, mm-hmm. people were telling me like, hey, uh, are you going to start applying for internships? And I'm like, it's September. What do you mean? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. They're like, you need to apply right now for the next year on June, July. Ridiculous. I had I had summer interns over the last few months who already had summer 24 internships lined up. It's like, what company is thinking that far in advance? Trust me, they are. Oh, that's so crazy. Okay, and Haley, so uh, because we see that on LinkedIn as well, uh, one, uh, one position has thousands of applicants. So how do you tackle that from the high level? So for example, if a thousand people apply for maybe three industry positions, how do, what is the process from the recruiter's end on how do you, do you tackle all those applications? Do you have time to look at all in one? Is there any, let's say, automation tool that you use to remove some of the resumes that don't have the keywords? Or what is the process, if you can share? Yeah, that's a great question. I actually get asked that a lot by students. And, you know, every company is a little different. Um, here at CBRE, even though we are like a large global corporation, um, we don't have any automated process um, or like AI that reviews our applicants' resumes for us. So we do go in there manually. Um, of course, when you're getting, you know, thousands of applications, um, you know, I'm just one person. I can't review all of those. And so what I've done in, in the past is I've elicited help from like my teammates as well as just like hiring managers. So like folks in the field to help me review those. Um, but yeah, I do know that other companies do use more um, like AI or technology to help them narrow down the pool. Um, like I have friends who do what I do at Microsoft, for example. So I know they have help in that realm. We don't. Um, but yeah, you know, what we can do is we can download resumes and just search for keywords to help us kind of, you know, pinpoint which candidates have the skills we're looking for. So that's something we do. Um, but yeah, gen- generally speaking, it is manual reviews. <laughs> so from the recruiter perspective, first of all, what do you look for when, for example, a department manager says, hey, we need internships, interns. What is the process that you go through? Let's start maybe from the very first steps, step by step. What is the first thing that you do when, uh, for example, there's a need for interns and then you look for, what do you actually hope to find for interns that maybe you don't really find in applications? Yeah, absolutely. I love this question because it allows us to take a little bit of a a peek behind the curtain. So (laughs) when a hiring manager comes to my team and says, I'm really excited about hiring an intern this summer, um, our first job is to talk to them and their teams and learn more about what they expect from their intern. Um, What sort of skills and experiences would allow this person to succeed? What kind of work do they have lined up for this intern? What kind of qualities that they're looking for? And typically, when we think about the product management space, you're very much so looking for someone who can really work side by side with the core product teams. Um, at CDK Global, our product management interns are incredibly crucial for setting the setting the direction for the next generation of our solutions. 
And from a technical perspective, we typically use things like Jira, Miro, Confluence, um, but also, you know, an agile framework. So very much so mindful about change management and, and maneuvering through the product system as, so, as, as quickly as possible. Um, from a non-technical perspective, often things that I hear is someone who's able to talk to people and really understand customer needs, someone who's able to take all of those customer needs and conversations and boil them down into user stories. So someone who's very um, data-oriented, who is, has a strong writer, um, and then of course, someone who is a strong presenter. It's really important because oftentimes our students are you know, working with our product managers, engineering teams, architects, and oftentimes have to report out about their own product backlog. So those are the three things that I would say are really key for from a hiring manager perspective. But from a program perspective, um, I'm always looking for someone who is excited to dive in, um, who has a great attitude and a drive to learn and a willingness to take on new challenges and see the all 10 weeks as an opportunity to grow in a lot of different ways. We always say, I can teach you anything, right? I can teach you how to use Confluence. I can teach you how to write a user story but I can't teach you to have that kind of attitude that makes you excited to jump into the deep end. And ultimately that's that's crucial. Haley, you have a lot of resumes. So let's start maybe by the basics. Is, is it true that recruiters spend 10 seconds in a resume, as they say on Google and just like the, the casual uh, people th saying that? Yeah, that is true. I try not to spend more than like 10 seconds. Um, I'll spend maybe 30 seconds if you know, at first glance, I'm like, wow, this is a really standout resume. I may spend a little bit more time than that. But yeah, generally speaking, 10, 15 seconds on average. Um, and what stands out to me as like a campus recruiter, so I'm looking at, you know, student resumes, um, you know, y'all are taking, you're majoring in the same things, you're taking the same classes, what really will help you stand out and what stands out to me um, and I always tell students this, is get involved on campus um, or just, you know, volunteer. Do things like outside the classroom that you can use to kind of fill out your resume. That will really make you stand out. Any like projects, um, you know, outside the classroom you've done, websites you've created or helped with, um, you know, of course, jobs are great. But, you know, I love to see like involvement in clubs, student organizations, volunteering, like all of that's very valid and will help you stand out as a candidate. I think being involved in campus is so important. Not only does it help to demonstrate your technical prowess, so for example, being involved in your product league shows that you're engaged in product management outside of the classroom, but it also demonstrates a lot of different transferable skills that oftentimes students don't think are important, um, mostly because they take them for granted. Um, so emphasizing like teamwork, leadership, communication, um, maybe you're a treasurer at a club and that shows me that you're good with budgets and the, de the detail that goes into that space. Um, there's so much within these areas that you're passionate about that also demonstrate that you're going to be a really strong candidate. So getting involved on campus helps to show that you're you know, not only engaging with the material outside of the classroom in your own time, in your own space, you're voluntarily doing it. Um, but it also demonstrates and shows me that you have more skills to offer than just the technical skills. Mm. Uh, so that what makes one person stand out from a resume, given that pretty much in my opinion, I'm in inexperienced in what you do. But from what I can think of my experience is that everyone is look is the same pretty much. So how do you differentiate people? Oftentimes, 
resumes may look similar, we often rely more on our screening calls to help us decide who's the best fit for this position. So while resumes might look very similar, you know, that we have a lot of MBA students that apply, a lot of people with really great technical backgrounds and project experiences and volunteer work, all sorts of really amazing things. Oftentimes, because resumes can look so similar, when we meet in the screening call, that tends to be the most crucial part of my team deciding who's a good fit. You know, getting to know their personality, getting to know their their thoughts and what they're excited about and what they want to dive into, what they want to do. Oftentimes, that's where we get most insight into whether or not someone's a good fit for our program. I see. So what is the mistake then that someone can make in those screening calls that you could be like, no, this is not a good fit? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, oftentimes, students will come into a screening call thinking that they have to be a certain type of person, that they have to uh, be this uh, aggressively bubbly person or this someone who knows exactly what they're talking about and maybe they come off as arrogant or but they're but they're nervous and they're trying to fit on a persona that doesn't necessarily fit that is oftentimes the biggest mistake that students make in screening calls um, trying to decide ahead of time what you think the recruiter is looking for instead of showing up as your genuine human self i find that the conversations i have with students where they show up and they're just themselves and we're talking about their experiences those are the ones that resonate more than someone who tries really hard to be something that I'm looking for because sometimes I don't even know what I'm looking for. And um, so, yeah, showing up as your best, as your just your genuine, authentic self is oftentimes much better. It really is like important to just be yourself, um, you know, just whatever that looks like, like just be yourself. Don't be too like, um, I guess, like tight and too like um, stiff. You want to definitely like portray who like the real you is because interviewers um you know employers we can kind of sense when you're just telling us what you think we want to hear versus like actually like a thought that you came up with on your own or like an Mm -hmm. anecdote that is true to your experience like we can kind of tell when when candidates are um just like saying what they think we want to hear this is incredible i really want to stop with this because that's what I've been saying to everyone because I also mm-hmm. got an internship and everyone is like, how did you get it? Like, just be yourselves. There's nothing. Absolutely. Here's the thing about, here's a student perspective that maybe could also help you understand other students as well. So at university, we have a lot of resources. We have, for example, a class on professional development. Mm-hmm. And the way that we speak about recruiters, about you guys, it's like we're speaking from non-humans, like we're speaking maybe for people outside of this world. So we're like, recruiters don't want this. Recruiters don't want that. And it makes you feel like you are a person who really intimidated. So we're intimidating oh, recruiters because of the fact that we really create a lot of myths about what recruiters want that they don't want to hear. And then it creates a form of, uh, so be yourself is re- very hard in that sense because then you're like, you're reading a lot, say this, don't say that. So you're like, what should I say? What should I not say? But at the end yeah, of the day, it is a story behind it. True. Yeah. And, and I find that because we're quote unquote making the big decision about your future and your internship. We look terrifying. Um, you, you come in, you can come into an interview and a screening call really nervous. Um, but ultimately, what what I wish was more emphasized was that your recruiters are your partner through this process. Um, I always say that my job is to get to know you best and try to put you in the very best light I can because the hiring managers are going to decide who they want to interview. My job is to help you along the process. 
I'm not as scary as you think. Um, <laughs> now we're just like you said, we're we're humans at the end of the day. We're not looking to trip you up. We're we're looking to find positions for you. We just need you to show up in, in your in your own way. So the resume, you look at it for less than 30 seconds, as you said, and you look, you yep. try to stand what makes a student stand out. The first thing that you said is going to activities. Is there anything that you're kind of tired of, in quote, let's just say, of seeing, which is a common mistake that people keep making over and over in terms of their resume? Yes, that's a great question. So something that really just isn't necessary um, on a resume is, so like, let's say you had an internship last summer. Um, let's say you were a, let's just, for example, like a sales intern at some big company. Um, you know, as a recruiter, like I kind of know what you probably did. You probably supported the sales team, you know, did this and that. Like what I think a mistake that a lot of people make, not just students, but everyone is in those like bullet points under your job, your different jobs that you've had. Um, a lot of folks use that space to essentially write, like rewrite the job description. We kind of know what you did. What I like to see in, in those bullet points is like quantifiable successes or metrics. Like, did you help that sales team meet their sales goal by 110%? Like, you know, any any metrics, any, any data you have to show like what um, you contributed to that company, um, I love to see. Um, but yeah, I think... A lot of times, you know, folks will just write like a general statement describing like high level what they did. You don't even really need that. Just two, maybe three bullets summarizing like your highlights from that role, successes, um, goals you completed or exceeded, things like that. Um, You know, generally speaking, like that would be my advice. Mm -hmm. And then in terms of the resume, how, how long should a resume be? I mean, we all say it's one page. But then I've seen a lot of people, because a lot of people reach out to me now for uh, students reach out to themselves. So not only me, but we reach out to other people to review the resume. And some of them have a lot of text in it. And the first, uh, my first reaction that is like, wow, this is so much. And now going back to you looking at it for 10 to 30 seconds, does that scare you? Some resumes having a lot of text in it? Um, you know, I, you know, I always say like one page, no more. You know, of course, if you're like, maybe a PhD student and you have all these publications or if you've been in the field for like decades, sure, two pages is fine. Um, but generally speaking, most people can fit everything on one page. Um, I would say try not to like pack that one page with like text on the whole thing. Like you do want to have a little bit of white space, not a ton, but just like a little bit. Um, otherwise, it makes it hard for the recruiter's eye to skim your resume. So you do want to make sure you have some white space on that one page resume. Mm-hmm. And then we also hear, Haley, that a lot of times we say personalize a resume according to the job position. But as I told you, if we're applying to hundreds of internships, maybe thousands, uh, it's going to be hard to personalize. Do you notice when someone has kind of personalized their resume? Is that something that makes people stand out if you personalize a resume based on the, the qualifications requested for that position? Yes, I agree with that completely. Um, you know, for example, like something I hire for at CBRE is cybersecurity interns. So when I'm reviewing my app, like my applications for the cybersecurity intern position, I'm specifically looking for like specific keywords on your resume that are pertinent and relevant to cybersecurity. Um, I'm also looking to see that your resume like reflects the student who's interested in cybersecurity. Like, are you pursuing 
um, certifications or taking the right classes, things like that. Um, so yes, definitely you want to um, personalize your resume for the job that you're applying for. Um, I My advice is always to have like kind of your like master template resume and then just like make copies of it. Like this is my software engineering resume. This one's more for like data science, you know, whatever it is that you're mm -hmm. applying for. I do recommend, yeah, personalizing and making sure the keywords and everything is, yeah, relevant. Mm, absolutely. So a uh, question that I want to ask now to get deep into the, the this the initial phase, have you ever had a case in which a student was not very promising from their resume, but then they surprised you on a call? What do you think they did that made you think, hmm, this guy got it or this girl got it, you know? Now it's time for me to shuffle one of the product cards and seeing which product strategy I'll be learning today with you. Okay, I got IKEA Effect. I'm reading the brief description. The IKEA Effect is a cognitive bias where individuals place a disproportionately high value on products they have invested time and effort into creating, such as assembling IKEA furniture. Interesting, let me read more on the back of it. The IKEA Effect can be used in product management to increase customer engagement and satisfaction by allowing customers to customize or help their own products. By allowing customers to put in meaningful time and effort to create a product, they will value it more highly than if they had purchased with no investment needed. I also have here some examples of IKEA Effect and I have a QR code I can scan to learn more about the IKEA Effect. That's a very interesting way to learn about product management strategies. If you want to own your own product cars that can learn more strategies like this, you can reserve it today during their Kickstarter at theproductleague.com slash product cards. So a uh, question that I want to ask now to get deep into the, the, this, the initial phase. Have you ever had a case in which a student was not very promising from their resume, but then they surprised you on a call? What do you think they did that made you think, hmm, this guy got it or this girl got it, you know? That is such a great question. Um, and I can actually think of several examples where this happens. Resumes are particular. Every recruiter has their own pet peeves when it comes to resumes and cover letters and, you know, the grammar that they expect and the colors that they don't want to see and... Uh, the fonts that they don't want to use. And one of my pet peeves is white space. You know, I don't like to open up someone's resume and find that it's half empty. You know, I want it to be okay. full of all of your projects and experiences and all the things that make you you. And oftentimes, you know, especially we talk to younger students like sophomores or juniors or rather rising sophomores and rising, um, rising freshmen, oftentimes their resumes, they're just not as polished as, mm -hmm. as someone who's had a lot of experiences. And um, so sometimes we'll get these younger students who will apply and their resumes aren't as strong, but we realize that this is part of the development process. So even if their resumes are not as strong as maybe, you know, maybe someone like you who's been doing this for a little bit longer, mm -hmm. um, we'll still chat with them and make sure, again, that screening call tells us way more than the resume does. Um, so the amount of time that that has happened is actually insane that I've met with a younger student whose resume wasn't great because they're still learning how to build a resume. And then their actual call just blew me out of the water. The, the amount of times that I've had to said, say to someone, I love that you're talking about this. Why isn't this on your resume? Um, take all of this experience, all this project work that you're really excited about and put it back on paper because that actually helps open the door a little bit more for you. Mm. Um, I can tell you there's one person in specific, um, similar case. They're, uh, you know, they were a current freshman. This was last year. Their, you know, their resume was a little scant in details, but decided to chat with them anyway, got them on a call. And she told me this wonderful story 
about um, a project work that she had been doing over the summertime with her part. I think it was her parents' company. Um, and it was a volunteer position. It was, But it was almost like an internship. And it wasn't on her resume. But she didn't think that it was legitimate because it was just a volunteer position. And, you know, I took that back to her and said, you learned so much of this experience, all these transferable skills, all these actual skills. This 100% needs to be on your resume. And it was a, yeah, it was a, it was a really neat story to be able to learn more about someone from just what's not on their paper. Absolutely. And I think uh, storytelling is also another important aspect of making it more natural because mm -hmm. do you notice that people are over-preparing? As you said, like they're not humans in general, but does over-preparation translate into them uh, sounding like they're like reading, like memorizing stuff? Oh, yeah. I also want the message of this podcast to tell students like, do not memorize everything, <laughs> right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think that there's... I think it's okay to memorize everyone's got their their little pitch in the beginning of who you are introducing yourself. I think that's okay to have kind of down pat. But the rest of your interview should really be more of a conversation. Um, it should be more more organic, more natural. If every question I ask you seems like you have a screened response and you have a prepared script, it's just not going to come off as genuine. Um, and that's going to it's going to make me wonder whether or not you're taking this as um, something that you're actually interested or if I'm one of 500 screening calls that you're mm -hmm. doing. Very interesting what you said. So do you ever feel as a recruiter's perspective, do you, can, do you have a sense of, yeah, this guy is just applying everywhere and like trying his luck versus, uh, yeah, this person really wants to work at CDK Global. Do you, do you, you also have the feeling of that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, How definitely. Feel as a recruiter, like, do you do dislike? Do you like them less, or what do you think about that? I think it's a good balance between being honest about your intentions and then also making sure you've done some research into the company. Um, you know, I meet a lot of people who I'll say, you know, why CDK Global? What about us really interests you? And a student will say, Oh, honestly, I'm just applying to anything. Um, that does put me off a little bit because it doesn't show me that you're passionate about the company and the work that we're doing. Whereas I have a thousand other candidates who are excited and really want exactly. to be involved with our products. Um, so it's almost like a comparison game. That being said, if someone said to me, you know, I'm applying to a lot of different positions, um, but when I was applying for CDK Global, I saw this product and it was really cool. That's, that's great. I don't mind honesty. I don't mind you telling me that I'm applying to a hundred different positions, but follow up with a little bit of additional detail that shows me that you're actually interested in this position, not just because it's an internship, but because the company is neat. And how important are uh, the online presence of students? As you know, like LinkedIn and everything else, all the students are trying the smallest achievement in life. They're trying to put it out there, hoping that recruiters and everyone will notice. How much of attention do you pay, for example, to online presence of potential interns or students in general on their LinkedIn profile and other social media platforms? Not for a decision, because maybe that's too much to say, but just to get an impression of who they are uh, more before the, uh, besides the interview. Um, you know, I, um, uh, a lot of times when I'm looking at a student's LinkedIn for the purpose of like my job, it's just, you know, a lot of times I'll be like, that name is familiar. So I'll click on their LinkedIn to see if I recognize their face. So having like, oh, okay. a very, like headshot, like your profile photo, having a really clear professional photo there, I always recommend because a lot of times recruiters are just kind of checking to see if they know you or they've met you before. Mm. We meet so many students and it's really hard sometimes to put faces to names. A lot of times that's what I'm using LinkedIn for. But also I find that, you know, oftentimes candidates are 
putting even more information on their LinkedIn than on their resume. So it's kind of a nice like second, but like more, um, you know, filled out resume, I guess. So sometimes I see that a lot of times that's not the case, but sometimes there will be more information on there that didn't fit on the resume. Like, um, you know, all of your jobs that you've had or all of your volunteer work, you know, things like that. But more often than not, I'm just checking to see if I like know you or recognize you. Mm -hmm. I think especially in this age, in this very digital age, having an online presence is really important, Um, especially if you're applying for a tech company, which, of course, CDK Global is. Um, that being said, if you don't have a LinkedIn, I'm not going to dock you for it. I'm not going to hold that against you. But if you have one, I'm going to go look at it and I'm going to go check it out. Oh, and so you see. do check uh, LinkedIn profiles. Of, of Oh, sure. Yeah. Like I said, it's another chance to get to know you, another touch point. Um, but it doesn't have to be. We also realize that you're students still. So mm-hmm. it doesn't have to look like someone who's been a staff engineer for 40 years. Um, it doesn't have to look like mine where my job is to utilize LinkedIn to entice people to work for my company. Um, but, you know, sewing, showing that you posted a few things or shared some things from other companies or that you're just updated on that page, that's really helpful. Again, it shows that you're, you're engaged with the process. Um, but like I said, if you don't have one, that's okay. You know, I'm not. I'm never going to say, well, this student doesn't have a LinkedIn. They must not be serious. It just means you don't have a LinkedIn. That's all. I'm, I stand with you here. And Haley, you mentioned that you get contacted by a lot of people. And I'm sure that you do because we're, we all as students are reaching out to recruiters. Um, what makes what makes you reply to one person? For example, what is a good message that you've had? Maybe uh, if you can share an experience that someone wrote to you and said, oh, this is actually a very good message. I'm going to respond to this person uh, versus like the gener- generic messages uh, that are just like, hey, can you help or whatever. So is there any particular way of writing on LinkedIn that makes you respond? That's a great question. Um, I would say that um, I'm more inclined to reply to a student on LinkedIn if we've already met. So for example, me and like the other um, folks at CBRE, we go out and do career fairs. We went to seven um, within the month of September and seven different schools, seven, seven different career fairs. And, um, you know, I had some students, they met at those career fairs. We had a great conversation and then they went and added me on LinkedIn and, and said something like, Hey, so great to meet you today. Would love to connect. Um, you know, here's copy my resume, you know, maybe they had a question or two, but I'm definitely more inclined to reply to someone I've already connected with in real life. And so, um, you know, I would encourage students instead of spending, you know, hours, like sending these, messages to all these recruiters on LinkedIn, like that's great, but I think you could have more impact or even more impact, I should say, by like trying to interact with companies in person, you know, networking. Mm. Networking really is like kind of everything. Kat, be honest. Does it really help to write to you uh, as a recruiter say, hey, I'm looking for a position and stuff like that? That's a really good question. I love that you're asking this because oftentimes when us recruiters get together, we'll, we'll actually talk about this. Um, I think it depends on the message. If you are sending me a message that is, again, something that I can tell you copy and pasted to 100 different recruiters, I'm probably going to write that off because that seems like a blanket email. But if you send me a message that is a little bit more personalized, uh, maybe shows that you did a little bit of looking at my own profile. I once had someone write me a message um, and had gone down to the bottom of my profile and saw that I did some volunteering. Um, and in in their message to me said, you know, I'm really excited about applying for this internship. 
um, you know, I saw on your page that you really believe in corporate social responsibility and that you're volunteering at this pet shelter. That's really cool because I did something similar. Uh, it's great to hear that the company cares about that. Messages like that are fantastic. That shows that you not only did your research, but that you wrote me a personalized message. Um, I am more likely going to respond to that with another personalized response. But if you send me a canned response, I'm most likely going to respond to you with my own canned response of, great, glad to hear from you. Thanks for connecting. Or no response at all. <laughs> or no response at all. Absolutely. Sure. That's very common. So to conclude on this conversation, Kat, can we say if there's any secret formula to getting an internship after all? You don't need a special formula to get an internship. You don't need to have had uh, a, you don't need to have created a startup. You don't need to have been published. You don't need to have done all of these things by the time that you're 19 or 20. Um, you can just be yourself and show up in your best way. And that that's really all that you you need to do. I mean, you need to obviously have the basic skills to be qualified, but you don't there's no special formula. There's no extraordinary piece of you know, wisdom or tool or magic key. You just have to be yourself. This is the end of the episode of Finding Internships. You have listened to two student stories, one of them being successful after almost a thousand applications. You have heard my story as well as two recruiters' perspective on how to be better prepared at applications and job interviews. So to conclude, you have to be persistent. If you have done more than 500 applications, you're not failing. You're just the average person trying to get an internship. Everybody's on the same boat. Try to differentiate yourself. If all you're doing is studying, getting that 4.0 and going home, you might consider changing that. Get involved in clubs. Do something different that sets you apart. And last but not least, when the interview moment comes, be yourself. Recruiters notice when you're faking it, so be your true self and nail that interview. Thank you so much for listening to the Product League podcast. I'll see you at the next episode.